All right, and we're live. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you. Um, so my early days in hardcore, I hung out with like a bunch of older people and they'd always put me on to newer music. And uh, there was just like a group of bands that they told me they're like, hey, like you're young, you got to get into these bands. And they like named off like Integrity, Marauder, Death for Every Sin. And uh, one of the bands on the list was All Out War. So like being able to talk to you today is just pretty awesome. Nah, it's great to be great to be on, man. Yeah, it's just uh, so crazy because like getting into it so early on, I just never knew where I was going to go with hardcore. I, I just knew like right from like the very beginning, I loved it. But one thing that always interested me, like All at War, um, kind of a metal band more than a hardcore. So I was always curious, how did uh, they become so like affiliated with the hardcore scene? Well, I think, you know, All Out War, most of the guys in All Out War grew up in both scenes. So we kind of, you know, went to metal shows, went to hardcore shows. But when we first started the band, you know, our influences definitely came more from the metal scene. We just hung out with a lot of people in the in the hardcore scene. We had um, we had hardcore roots like the original guys in All Out War were in a band called AWOL and I sang for AWOL on their last uh the last show and that was a total hardcore band and then we combine that with Christopher Marauder who was one of the original members of All Out War and it kind of just morphed but like I said we were taking influences from from a lot of the German thrash stuff like Sodom and Destruction and Creator and then we kind of combine that with with the more metallic hardcore bands like Carnivore and Carnivore is not even really a hardcore band but more like you know Leeway and Chromag and stuff like that so that's where we we came from and and we just uh you know we've always played in both scenes also you know not only were we going to both shows or both types of shows but we were involved in both scenes so early on uh, with those uh, German influences how did you guys even like find out about bands like that cuz in those days like the internet wasn't available well, I mean, those bands were already touring in the U.S. Like, I saw Creator a few times. You know, I had all, all their records. Um, I saw Destruction um, on tour with the Cro-Mag. So, so, you know, it was, those bands were pretty, pretty well-known in the U.S. at the time anyway. Okay, yeah, because obviously... I mean, it, like was definitely, it, it was definitely harder to access hardcore bands back then than it was metal bands, definitely, without a doubt, especially being from where we're from you know, in, in upstate New York. So it was, you know, it was easy to gravitate towards a lot of the metal stuff. And back then, what we said, it was like harder to access the hardcore bands. How did you guys actually find out about that? Was just like people passing out flyers, just like old school, like roots. Flyers, definitely flyers. And then, you know, like through thank you lists, like that was the big way that we did it. You know, you know, you'd, you'd get a band, you know, you'd, you'd get turned on to one band and then you'd read their thank you list and you'd get out there and you'd, you'd buy those records, you know, and then college radio was, was big and tape trading was big in those days. So that was, that was another way. Found a lot of bands that way. That's like super fascinating for me because for me, Early on, like MySpace was a big thing. So a big way for me to d discover new bands were bands uh, putting their friends or other bands in their top eights. And I would just be jumping from top eights to top eights, just like finding bands that I was into. Yeah. And 
you know, it's very similar. I mean, I think the one of the big differences is back then, it, it was a lot less, like, hype-driven. Like, you just got into bands that you totally dug, and, and there was not a lot of bandwagon stuff going on because there was no there was no internet, you know? So it was just like you were finding bands that you were into. And I think, you know, uh, one of the big differences with today and back then is back then, the more obscure, the better. So you were looking for bands that no one heard about, where today I think a lot of people like to latch on the bands that everybody else is latching on to, which no no disrespect or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's just a noticeable difference. Sometimes I feel like kids these days are like a little like lazy in just kind of following like what's popular because the access to music these days, it's just so easy. And there's so many good bands that people just overlook because they have no hype or they're just not you know connected to the right people. Right. You know, and I think now with, with the with the uh, Internet and with, you know, social media it's once that ball gets rolling man good for those bands you know no like i said no disrespect intended man take advantage of it i mean it's great it's just different you know once that hype train goes though man it goes today you know yeah and like music these days just moves so fast like doing this podcast like people are constantly telling me like hey you have to check out this band, like new demo dropped. And like, I like it's really hard for me to keep up because literally it's just like, I'm getting hit with things like left and right. And I and like for me to take the time to try to actually listen and like analyze and figure out if I actually like the music, like that takes time. Like I can't decide if I like a band or not, like right away. Cause for me, I feel like I have to like try to bond with the music and I, that doesn't just happen the first listen. Right. I, I'm the same way, you know? So uh, I totally get what you're saying. So uh, you guys have um, all at war has definitely been around for a really long time. So I feel like you guys have been able to see, like go through all the different phases of, um, you know, like hardcore metal being like, you know, kind of like underground and becoming super popular and uh, it growing with like mainstream. Like how have you guys managed to be able to stay relevant through all these years? I think, you know, with us, We've never cared, obviously. You know, we've always we've always been against the grain. We've never been out to, uh, you know, be popular. So uh, we've just kind of done our thing. Like, especially like early on when we started the band, you know, it was a direct, our style was a direct uh, slap in the face to what was going on because we were tired of like, you know, generic youth crew type bands. And we were tired of like, all our favorite hardcore bands turn into grunge rockers or, you know, thrash bands trying to be funk bands or whatever. And we were just like, fuck this. We're going to like play this total balls out metal style and just do what we like. And we never had any intentions of doing anything. You know, it was like, we wanted to play, we wanted to play, get to play Lamore and we wanted to get to play CBGBs. And that was like a big deal for us and maybe put out a demo. And then, you know, we just, we just kept going because it was easy to weather the storm when you don't give a fuck, you know, when you don't care, it doesn't really matter when you're not looking for prestige, when you're not looking to be like a hype band or anything like that, when you're just into it because you love doing it, it's easy to, to weather the storm. It's easy to just watch things come and go because, you know, at this point, it doesn't matter. We're going to keep doing what we're doing and whether people like it or not, we're, we're who we are and we're not going to change. 
So one thing that you said that um, kind of caught my ear was uh, thrash bands uh, turning to play funk. Did that really happen back in the day? Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't, I don't know if, if funk is the right word, but like a, a lot of bands started to get more like less intense, for lack of a better phrase. So, you know, like bands started to sort of gravitate towards like some corny stuff i mean like you know and uh to us that wasn't where we wanted to go we wanted to keep it heavy that's why you know the the death metal thing was was so refreshing back then because those bands were just totally over the top intense and And they sort of took the place of a lot of to be honest, I, I never really dive too deep into the, the, the death metal. Like um, for me, when when it comes to like uh, thrash or metal, I, I just really listen to just a lot of like the like uh, like bands like you guys, like kind of like the hardcore like adjacent bands. Right, that's cool. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I for me, I, growing up, like I've always um like. I, I felt like hardcore kind of um, goes in cycles. So like when I got into it, like the big or like the more popular style was like the heavier, like beat down stuff. And um, since I've been around, this is like the early 2000s, like I've kind of seen like the whole like wheel go and all, like every other type of hardcore, like the youth and stuff get, get popular and get less popular than bands when it sound like they're from like New York in the 90s. You there, Lucia? Oh no, no, sorry. I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, so I was just uh, just never really got in like too deep into the metal, but um, I was uh, just curious about uh, something like the album art. I I, I know on a couple of the records uh, you had Dave Quiggle do some of the art. Right. Yeah. Can you talk about how um, you guys uh, got in contact with him and managed to um, get him to do the artwork? Did, did it take any convincing? Was he like apprehensive at all? I, you know, at first, no. And, um, you know, we, we knew Dave, um, you know, he's a great guy and we knew him from Clint from victory. And, you know, we, we always played like when shockwave for a while, he was in a band called shockwave. They were doing like uh like yearly shows in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. We'd go out and play those shows. And, um, you know, at first, I think Dave was cool with it. He did uh, he did Condemned to Suffer, Assassins in the House of God, was when I think Dave got a little a leery of what we were going for. Okay. And then finally it just kind of fizzled out, you know, because I think we got a little too... Uh, too uh, extreme for Dave. Yeah, like when because I'm growing up, like uh, I, I wasn't like you know familiar with like people's names. But then as I got older and I found out like you know who was who, and like when I realized that he did that artwork, I, I just was a little taken aback. I was like, man, I was like, it's so crazy. Just like you know, even like uh, Assassins in the House of God, just like that title is just so like to me. I, I think it's like awesome. But to see like that Dave Qu- Dave Quiggle would uh, agree to do that, I, I just thought it was wild. Yeah, <laughs> us too. <laughs> so I and again, I, I think that that Dave was very uh, apprehensive about doing that one. So um, the did he be like like yeah he, he did the cover, but did he also do like the inserts like the the inside of the record? No, he just did the cover. Okay, all right. I, I wasn't sure about that. Interesting, man. Yeah, like for me. 
a big part of my early days in hardcore. Like I was like super into the like face down records and like bands like in due time, seven star, like bloody Sunday and like Jesus wept, like bands like that. So, uh, for me, like seeing like his artwork, you know, in those bands I thought like was awesome. So seeing, knowing that he did your guys' stuff, I, I thought it was just like super cool. Yeah. Dave's a cool guy. All, all those guys, nice guys, no innocent victim. They were all, they were all nice people. I haven't heard from any of them in years, but uh, they're good, good guys. So you guys were signed to Victory Records for a long time, and like early days, like for me, I'm seeing Victory Records. I, I thought it was cool because it, they put out bands like Terror. But then as the years went by, like um, it seemed like Victory Records. Uh, kind of was like cursed like bands went there like they weren't like they wouldn't end up doing well they'd either end up breaking up or records just wouldn't be um being put out so um i was just wondering about your guys' time at victory do you feel like you were treated proper i think that like what we were talking about before i i think that us in ringworm i we say this all the time you know run kind of parallel with our experience with with victory where we were much more like blatantly metal than what they were used to dealing with. And I don't think that they knew what to do with either one of us. You know, I think that we were, we got on the label, you know, and at the time it made sense because we were good friends with buried alive and we were good friends with blood for blood and reach the sky and, and all those bands. So it made, it made sort of sense for us. And then once we got on the label, you know, I don't think that, the, I think that, you know, victory themselves and typical victory fans were like, what the fuck is this? This is like a total metal band, you know? And it wasn't what they were really, you know, accustomed to. And I think that victory, you know, they, they didn't really know what to do with us. So they just kind of moved on when we were on the label and then we were stuck in the contract and, um, you know, for whatever reason, they just wanted us to stay and fulfill the contract. So we, we stayed because we had to, and we put out the records and, and, you know, we didn't half ass it. We put out, you know, we worked hard on those records and, uh, we were definitely, you know, we definitely wanted out and they didn't want to give it to us. So, uh, there's, you know, water under the bridge at this point. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that victory really wanted us on the label after a while anyway. So, but Tony being Tony refused to let us go. So were you guys tied to put out a certain number of albums with that contract? Yeah, we had to put out four records. Oh, wow. And uh, there was never like an option to buy out of it. The fifth. Okay, for sure. All right. I'm just so curious because like for me, um, I've never really gotten into like that side of the business. So um, when I just like, you know, see that kind of stuff go down, I'm always just like wondering like what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, we were never and still aren't like a band that like does very good with the business end of things, you know, because we really don't give a shit about that. Okay. So, uh, you know, in hindsight, it was probably stupid to sign a, a four record deal with anybody. But, um, but we did, you know, because we were just like, fuck it, you know, we'll, we'll get on the label, you know, um, we had other label interests, you know, but we went with victory because that's where a lot of the guys we were hanging out with were, were putting out records. So, uh, at the time, you know, victory was, was really big in, 
in the music scene. So it seemed like it was an okay thing to do. And if I had to do it all over again, I definitely wouldn't have done a four record deal, but what are you going to do? And is there, um, or can you talk about what other labels were interested at the time? No, nah, I don't, don't want to get into that. Okay. And, okay, so back then, I, um, the music industry was, like, way different than it is today. So um, I, I feel like back then, like, getting on a label, like, was, like, a thing bands wanted to do. But I feel like these days, um, like, the means to stay independent or like way more um like accessible like i feel like a lot of bands like you don't have to get on a label or sign to a label to get big like you could literally just blow up on your own because of um social media and the streaming services that are out there today like do you think uh like the way things are now would you have signed um with a label or would you guys have tried to go the independent route I think what we would have done is exactly what we've been doing the last couple of years with smaller labels because okay. like just sticking strictly with our friends because like the last, you know, few records have come out with good friends of ours, you know, and not big labels at all. And I agree with you a hundred percent. You don't need a label, but at the same time, it's, it's sort of easier if you have somebody that, that knows the business a little bit. But if you know the business yourself and can get distribution, you know, it makes probably probably more sense just to go it alone. I mean, because like you said, you can you can push this on your own. You just have to understand how it works. Okay. But like I said, doing it doing it with friends, I mean, that's the way to go. Like you don't have to any longer really get in bed with these big like business type people that don't really know anything about your music that just trying to make a buck. Like you don't have to deal with those people at all anymore. You can just, you know, do it with people that you're friends with and, and let it flow from there. So in 2017, you guys put out, give us extinction on organized crime records. And that was because of um, the friends you, or the, the friend you made it uh, through victory. Correct. Right. That's Clinton. Yeah. have been good friends with him. Clint. For a and, long time. Um, but this year you guys put out uh, crawl among the filth on unbeaten records. I was wondering um, why you guys chose to go with that record label. Just a, like just natural transition. I've been friends with buddy for years. He was in a band from Albany called stigmata, but I knew buddy before that, you know, I met him at the anthrax the club in Connecticut, like way a long time ago. And I've been really good friends with buddy and buddy has the label. And he asked, um, was actually up in Albany hanging out and he asked if uh, we wanted to do like an EP and it sounded like a good idea. And then, and then we started writing the EP and everything was just kind of flowing pretty easy. So then I called buddy and I said, look, man, instead of just doing five songs, we got 10. So do you want to just put out a full length? And he was cool with it. And that's what we did. And hell yeah, that's awesome. I, I sometimes like, um, I feel like EPs are awesome because there's not all like, there's no filler, but, um, I would take a full length any day, like w with my, my favorite bands. Cause like for me, I just want to consume like all the content. Right. Especially, you know, now, you, you know, like, I, I don't know if EPs are still in fashion or not. I remember you know, years ago, seven inches were great to get. I used to collect seven inches like crazy, but, um, I don't know. I don't know if, if that's still a thing or not. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like these days bands, uh, prefer to put out, um, like 
EPs just because they're um, like they don't want to do filler. So and I feel like they can do those like a little more consistently. Like the I feel like the shelf life for an EP isn't as long as it would be for an LP. Right. So, yeah, I agree with that. Um, but you guys uh, seem to be still putting things out pretty consistent. Um, I, I'm assuming you still love to do the band. Oh yeah, without a doubt. That's the only reason I I do it. I mean, you know, everybody asks me like, you know, why do you keep doing this? And it's it's like this is what I do. This is what I've always done. And I think that's awesome because like I've known like tons of friends who, who have like, you know, dropped out of like the music scene. And for me, it's like since I've got into it, like I just like fell in love instantly and um, I could never see myself getting away from it. Like I, I always see myself going to shows, supporting the music and just trying to give back like any way I can. So to see like a band like you guys still like going on and putting out like consistently good music, I, I think that's like really awesome. Yeah, thanks. I mean, you know, I mean, everything, every aspect of my social life revolves around this. I mean, you know, the music scene. So my friends are all, you know, my my good friends, my close friends are all from this scene. My wife's from the scene. So, I mean, it, it's just, uh, you know, it's just life. You know, it's, there's no, there's no, there's nothing fake about it. This is, this is what I've always done. I mean, I've been doing this since I was, I was hanging out in this scene since I was 14 years old. I'm still here now. So I, I wanted to take it way back. Um, I, w- I wanted to know if, if you can talk about how you got into this kind of music, like your early days. I think, you know, uh, natural progression, like I, like a lot of people, you know, back then I, w- I was totally into metal, you know, so I would, I would go to like just strictly metal shows and then the crossover thing started popping. You know, so I, I started to go to show, like I'd go to see, I'd go to see Nuclear Assault and Broken Bones or UK Subs would also play, or I'd go see uh, Creator and DRI was on the bill. So then you sort of get into that. And then I got Cro-Mag's Age of Quarrel, which to me was like, you know, the be all end all of, of music. And I didn't, to be perfectly 100% honest, I didn't really see that big of a difference between that stuff and metal at the time okay. but i just started to like you know it just sort of morphed into going to the hardcore shows a little bit and then you know the lyrics of of hardcore really really you know drew me in you know i mean especially like the more political and socially conscious type type lyrics so then i started to really get involved in that and i think the big difference was you know we're, we're going to metal shows there's a there's a definite, especially back then, there was a direct division between the bands and the crowd, you know? And hardcore, when I started to discover that, that was like, there was no division. I mean, you were you were buying merch from the band's singer. You, you know what I'm saying? You were, you could talk to the bands like in depth after. And as like a 15 year old kid, that was fucking awesome because you didn't get that in metal at all. And I think, you know, I never lost the love for metal and I kept going to metal shows, but the hardcore stuff was really, really refreshing and really cool. So, uh, so I totally dug that. And, and, you know, everybody was like, 
down to earth like there was there was very little with the hardcore scene any kind of rock star attitude like it was uh, a little bit i think different back then because i think now i think a lot of bands like go into it wanting to be big and i didn't get the impression back then and it could be hindsight you know you know what i'm saying like you definitely see something different you know when you're old old when you're looking back but as a 15 year old man i I, I thought it was great. I thought there was no like pretentious attitudes or anything. It, it was it was fucking awesome. For sure, I <clears throat> I'm like like I, I get that. Like talk about the hindsight thing. Like I have so many friends uh, that kind of stopped like with their progression of like being in hardcore. They just kind of like got like their like group of bands that they love to listen to and they don't really care about like new stuff coming out and they love to talk about um, how things used to be and I, I get it it was like fun back in the day but then I always tell them I'm like hey like you know you can't just live in the past like you got to stay involved because those awesome times can still happen you just got to be involved in hardcore because I honestly think hardcore is consistently good you just kind of have to be there and not get jaded even though like sometimes it's hard because for me there's been so many times where I just like didn't want to go to shows but I just still went anyways because I knew I would like regret it if I didn't go man I agree with you 100% I mean I have so many people I know that just live in the past and I mean you know I think you know what's going on now is great i think what was going on then is great but just because it's dead for you doesn't mean it's dead like all these people want to say how how bad it is it's bad for you because you're not into it anymore so of course you're going to think every fucking new band sucks and you're going to you're going to talk shit because you're over it well congratulations but you didn't mean what you said and you pretend like you did but you obviously didn't because there's still, you know, you could, even if you want to be just involved in with the older stuff, that stuff's still going on. Like you can still go see Agnostic Front, but a lot of these people don't even go to see them. They just sit and say how better the old bands were, but you don't even go and see them. You just, them, you just sit around and bitch. So uh, what was ever the point? And you know, it's funny about all this stuff. It was, it's always the biggest loud mouth that lasts the least amount of time. You know, it's always the people who who have a, a lot to say that are gone the quickest. That is very true. And it, it's funny how that like, it works out that way. And for, for people who like say, you know, the, the current state of hardcore sucks or whatever, like whatever genre or subgenre of hardcore you like, there's bands out there doing that style. You just kind of have to put in the effort to find them because they're out there. Yeah, right definitely okay um so no, i mean it, go, and it goes for me- it's not just hardcore it goes for metal too you know i mean there's a lot of great new metal bands out there you know so it's not like it's not like heavy music is on the on the downswing at all it's it's just people just stop going like i said it's it's dead to them so therefore they like to go on get on their soapbox and say it's, it's dead totally okay so was there like ever a point when all out war like would play like hardcore gigs? Were you guys ever skeptical on how the response would be? Or did you guys just not care because you just love playing your music live? 
We don't care. I don't care at all. You know, I just, I love playing music. doesn't matter to me. It does, you know, not at all. Not, not, in, not in the slightest. You know, we just get up there and love us or hate us, we're just going to get up there. And, and we've never, we've never got up there and mailed it in because of, because of the crowd. You know, we're going to do what we're going to do. And um, it just goes to show how much we like doing this. Yeah, no, and that's totally re- like respectable because I, I used to play in some bands back in the day and I would feed into the energy of the crowd. If they were dead, it would kill me on the inside and it would be so hard to um, play a good set. Well, I think, you know, all the time I always, I've always thought this was kind of funny because like you would go see a band and the band could sound terrible and if the crowd was in it into it you'd hear people say wow they were great or you could go and see a band that sounded awesome and the crowd's not into it and then people would be like that band sucked it's like the band didn't have anything to do with the, you're judging the crowd yeah you know? you're yeah judging the band's performance based off the crowd's reaction right hmm. okay yeah, I, I, and honestly, I, I, there, I, maybe it's because when I was younger, I like had, I was dealing with like stage fright and stuff. I hated being in front of like a ton of people. Um, so I don't know if that had to do with it, but yeah, like it, it, the crowd wasn't feeling it. And luckily, um, it was because I was in like two bands, so, like the one band I, I played like keyboards in. So luckily, if the crowd was like not feeling it for that band, like I didn't feel as bad because I wasn't like the front man. So I would just get to kind of be on the side, just doing my own thing. Well, and don't get me wrong. It's, it's much better when the crowd is into it, you know, but, uh, but you can't care about that stuff. But I, I totally understand what you're saying because, you know, I, I have social anxiety, I guess, just like you. And I mean, but, you know, you just got to keep rolling. So uh, you mentioned your social anxiety. Was that part of the reason um, why like you left the band for a little bit? Yeah. I mean, like I've never really liked touring ever. Like here's how I, you know, look at a tour. I always liked the first two weeks of the tour and the last two weeks of the tour. And then that middle you know, I would always prefer to be home. You know, I, I like to be, I, I like to be alone a lot, you know? So okay. I'm not like one of the, like, I'm not a, a very social person, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so after a while, you know, especially, you know, life kind of catches up to you and you sort of, uh, you know, all the pressure of life got to me for a little bit and I just had to step away. But, uh, you know, that didn't last very long before you start, I started to definitely realize that this is, this is such a huge part of my life that, that I'm, I'm not going to abandon it because of, you know, my, my social anxiety. I'm not going to let that, you know, dictate what I do. Okay. The whole thing about tour when I was younger I was fortunate enough to be friends with the band and they took me on tour for a week 
and the idea of going on tour at that time, I was like, this is, this is a dream. Like I, I get to go to a show every night and have fun with my friends. But at that point I didn't realize like, you know, it's actual work. Like, you know, these bands are like trying to make money and it wasn't all like fun in games. So like the week that I went out, it was cool. It was definitely like an eye opening experience, but I honestly don't think I, I could have done it like any longer than that because like I, for me, I, I get like homesick. I, I just love being at home. So like I can imagine being gone that long on the road. Right. I like uh, being on the road and, and seeing my friends, you know, mm-hmm. but the night after night, kind of grind always got to me after a while like i can i can definitely hang with like with with like a week you know but anything mm. longer than that i always was like i mean don't get and we've done it you know we've done long tours a lot of long tours and you know looking back they were a lot of fun but but i remember being on the tour and just being like all right when's this one gonna wind down so when you eventually um excuse me when you eventually rejoined the band did you guys just uh kind of take like take it easy on doing like longer tours yeah we haven't done a long tour like since probably i think the last long tour we did was with god forbid and shadows fall i'm talking like a real long tour i think that was the last and that was probably 2002 so it's been a long time since we did like a real long tour. Mm-hmm. We've done we've done like two week tours since then, but we haven't done like a whole like month real proper tour in a long time. Yeah, and I I know you guys um have done like some like stuff where you like fly in and play like a couple shows on the weekend and then fly home. I'm yeah. assuming you probably like prefer that over like a long tour. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's and. And I feel very blessed that we're able to do that kind of stuff too. Yeah, because uh, I can't remember what year it was when you guys like flew uh, flew out and played LA. Two thousand fifteen, I think. Yeah, two thousand six. It was. I think it was before Dying Gods came out. Yeah, that that only sounds right. Yeah, and I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, like that's cool. Like it, it's awesome that you guys like you guys are able to do that, and um, you know, people are willing to you know book you guys, and you guys are able just to kind of get in, play like a six set, and then just be able to make it back home and uh, still keep like your normal life. Yeah, well, I'm a high school social studies teacher, so like I can't take a lot of time off during the school year anyway. Yeah, I actually wanted to kind of get into that. Um, I was reading like um, an interview and you, you talked about how um, when things with All Out War were kind of like on like a break, like after like shows or like an album came out, like you would um, go and uh, go to college and like take like courses to you know get towards, but um, excuse me, to get go right. towards becoming a teacher. Um, was that always the plan to become a high school teacher? No, (laughs) you know, I, I kind of like, uh, just sort of was taking classes. I had no real direction at all. And then after a while I started to realize that I had to, uh, do something. And somebody asked me, you know, well, what are you, what are you interested in? I said, well, I'm interested in history, but I don't know what I can do with that. And they were like, well, you know, you play shows, you interact with people. Why don't you become a history teacher? And then I was like, ah. 
so I, so that's when the plan probably, the plan probably came together around 99 to do 98 or 99, right, right around when for those who were crucified came out. Okay. And uh, how long have you been a teacher? I've been a teacher since 2002. Oh, wow. That's awesome. 2002. That was my first year in high school. So I would have had you as a freshman if you were in New York. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, and I'm, you know, so you've been a teacher since 2002. Um, have you ever had any students like come in wearing like your band's merch or people know that you're in all out war? Yeah. All the time. I, I think that'd be so cool if I came to class and like my new teacher is like, was like the singer of like a band that I listened to. It's, it's funny. Like some, some of them, like they always act like they got something on me, like in a good way. They're always like, what they'll do is they'll come up to me with their phone and they'll show me some video and they'll be like, score, look. And then they'll, they'll look at me like, all right, I got your secret. And it's like, man, everyone knows you got no secret, but I let them think that, you know, I let them think that they got, they got something on me and I'm going to get fired if they, if they show anybody the video. That's so weird that, uh, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why like they'd want to fire somebody just cause like, you know, outside of like their job, they're in a band. Yeah. But you know how like kids are funny. Yeah. Damn. That's cool. So, uh, like teachers, um, I, I feel like sometimes, like, you know, can be like, um, underappreciated and I, I'm curious, like the, the way you teach, do you get like a satisfaction out of like, um, these like young kids, like learning about history and like, um, do you teach like a specific, um, type of history? I teach, um, global history. So it's world history. Okay. And, um, I think, you know, you're, you're the biggest, reward with being a teacher isn't so much teaching the content, but teaching like skills, like getting them to really think critically and be able to make sense of the world on their own without you telling them, without you like, without you telling them how to look at it. Rather, it's better to get them to look at it, you know, on their own and make sense of it. You know, because I think, you know, the biggest mistake anybody can make, especially as a high school teacher, is to push your views on kids. Because when you push your views on anybody and they buy into it, all you're creating is sheep. All you're creating is followers. And that's not what you want, because that's the problem of the world. There's too many followers. So teachers, you know, they should be teaching kids how to make sense of things on their own without having dictated to them. And I think the problem with the system is the system just wants perfect little consumers and they want teachers to get up and dictate how it is. And I, and I think that that, you know, it's, it's doing a disservice to the kids and it's definitely doing a disservice to the world. Yeah, I definitely respect that because I had this English teacher, um, his name was Mr. Adler and I had him as a freshman English teacher and just somehow by the time I became a senior, he um, switched to teaching um, like uh, seniors instead of freshmen and I got him again and he was like unconventional and he 
didn't talk to me like I was like less than him. He just talked to me like I was a normal person. And um, I, I feel like just like the books he had us read and just like the things that he talked to us about, like stuck with me, like even like things like to this day. And I, I appreciate him out of like all, all the other teachers I had because I felt like nobody else cared as much as he did to like have an impact on us. Because like, like I said, like he wasn't trying to like, you know, push his like ideas or the way he thought like on us. He just like wanted us to actually grow up to like be something. Right, and I ha- and teachers have to realize that they are in- they can choose to impact people on the positive or on a negative, you know. And your story, what you just said, that's a great example of somebody having a positive impact. And you have to like you have to talk to your students on a uh, equal level. Like you can't you can't come off as you want some kind of power over them because man, if you need to have power over a a 15 year old, you got bigger problems. You know, you should just find another job. Yeah. And I, I, never understood that because like it definitely had some like teachers that just would like phone it in like just handing out packets and didn't really seem like they actually really wanted to like educate us that much. It just kind of seemed like they were just like kind of there for the paycheck. And I never understood that because first of all, I see people do the, I see teachers do the packet route. And to me, that just seems like a lot of work, even though it sounds like it's no work. I mean, who, I mean, who wants to hand out packets and then collect them and then just grade them and then hand out another packet and do that. That would kill me. I love to interact with the kids. You know, I love to, to build a rapport with them. I, the last thing I want to do is hand out packets. Yeah. And it was just always so boring. And like, part of me, like, I don't know if I was, cause I was like a angsty, like teenager, but I, I, I felt like I wasn't getting like, you know, my, like my worth, like from the class. Cause like, I would just sit there and like, we all knew you know, these packets were coming. We would just go into the textbook, look for like the bold letter, like the bold words to find the answers. And it just seemed like just not really like the proper way to like teach us. Cause it, to me, it wasn't like, like a fun way to learn. So like, I think like a lot of stuff just didn't even stick. Right. And what do you, what do you learn by doing it that way? Nothing. All you learn is to take information and spit it back out. You don't do anything with the information. So what's the point? Yeah, I, I have no idea. And, and like, yeah, to me, like being so young and be able to like identify that this seemed like a problem, just like the way we were, you know, quote unquote being taught, it just was weird to me because it just seemed wrong. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. It's definitely the wrong way to do it. All right. Um, in one of the interviews I, I read, um, it was a couple of years old, so I, I don't know if it's still going on, but it talked about like a charity that, that you did like with the school. I used to, like, um, I don't know what specific one you're talking about to do a bunch of them, but I did, I used to be involved with one called uh, backpack snack attack. Yeah. The, the, that was the one. It, yeah. Basically, you know, what, what we did with that is we, on Fridays, you would you would fill kids' backpacks up with food, so they would go home because you know kids don't want to like let it be known that they are receiving some kind of charity. So with the backpacks, you fill them up with food because a lot of kids where do they get their free meal? They get the free meal at school, 
So on the weekends, they don't have anything. So we did the backpack snack attack where we'd fill the backpacks up with food. And that way, you know, nobody would notice when they were going home with the food. And you guys don't do that anymore? Oh, no, it still goes on. I'm not as heavily involved in it as okay. I was just because I, I have different jobs that I do at work. I'm, I'm still involved, just uh, not like I was those few years. Yeah. But I still do it, just okay. not. I don't run it anymore. And that's awesome. I, I I was reading about that and I was like, that, that's definitely cool. Cause um, you know, there are like less fortunate kids. So the fact that you guys are able to provide them with that stuff, I, I, I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. It's uh, and like I said, it's still definitely going on. I'm still, still involved in it. I'm just not, you know, running it anymore. So are you like running any like new charities since you said you have like different job duties? Oh no. Yeah, we do things every year pretty similar to that you know what a, a lot of community outreach stuff we try to do like just give kids an opportunity to do things besides just uh you know roam the streets and get into trouble yeah and i i don't know what it's like out there in new york for these kids and like i'm trying to keep them off the streets but i think it's awesome that there are programs like that especially things that you help out with to try to you know you keep these kids out of trouble Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of pitfalls out there. So the more you can provide for kids, the better. Yeah. Uh, so I was browsing your Twitter and I noticed that you retweeted, um, um, and these shows have already passed, but you retweeted, uh, mind force. They had some shows a couple of weeks ago. I was curious um, what's your relationship with them or are you just a fan? Yeah, we're great. We used to share a, practice space with mind force up until when Mike got into his car accident and then they, they bowed out of the practice space for a bit. Um, but we've known them for years. Like we're great friends with them. I've known, I've known all those guys for a long time. I've known Jay for years, you know, and all those other bands like elevate and, you know, living laser and, and whatever. And I've known Mike for a long time. They're great guys. We're all Hudson Valley people. Okay. Hell yeah. I, I had no yeah, idea. A practice space. We had shared a practice space with them when they were living laser. And then when they switched over to mind force, you know, for forever. Dang. I, I think that's awesome. I, I, I literally had no idea. Um, I, so this past sound and fury, uh, mind force actually came out um, to California for, for the first time. And I like, I thought living laser was an awesome band and I saw um, Jay in the lobby and he, he was just like by himself, just kind of like walking around. So like I, I made it a point to like approach him. I was like, Hey, just like want to say like, you know, love mind Forest, but I just want to let you know, like I'm a huge fan of like living laser. And he like looked at me and it was like stoked that I like knew about like, that band um, th that he had before mind Forest. Well, it's funny because living laser and mind Forest are really the same band it's just a different bass player yeah and we were talking about like um because we were just like wow like because i asked him I was like i i was like surprised that like that band living laser didn't like you know catch like and you know uh, kind of like get as big as like mind forces right now and uh we we're just like laughing because we're like yeah like it's literally just like basically the same band i think that they they were about to and then you know when because i mean they were starting to pick up a lot of steam as living laser and then when uh, Casey couldn't do the band anymore because he had a baby, 
then I think when they switched over to Mindforce, it just it just picked up on the steam that Living Laser already had. Mm-hmm. Not taking anything away from either one of them. They were both great. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I love both bands. Um, and I actually, uh, when I was talking to Jay, I asked him to come on the podcast, and um, he's actually going to come on in like two weeks. He's a high school teacher also. Oh, really? Okay. That's awesome. I, I literally had no idea because like when I talked to him, he, he was like super down to do it and said he had a lot of um, stuff he wanted to talk about, which was like like awesome for me. And um, I try not to talk to like the guests that I have booked like too much because like I just want to like be greedy and just save it for the podcast. Yeah, Jay, Jay's a, teaches the same thing I do. And I think his wife teaches the same. Yeah, she teaches the same thing I do also. Hell yeah, that's awesome. I literally had no idea, and I, I, I think that's like a cool connection, one that I never knew existed. So, like, thanks for sharing that. Well, especially since All I Wore and Mind Force sound absolutely nothing alike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, two different bands. I mean, like I said, I've, we've known those guys forever. Mm-hmm. So, you guys have some shows. You, you guys have like two shows the next weekend with uh, I Hate God. Right. We're going out with I Hate God for for three shows, and then we're gonna take it easy for a while, and we're gonna go with, out with Integrity and uh, Enforced. Yeah, for four shows. I'm not even sure in November. Yeah, um, I have a friend. His name's uh, Keith Freeman. He he plays in a band called Maniac. They're actually playing one of those shows with you guys. Uh, yeah. Ben from Recycled Earth is in that band too. Yeah, super awesome band. Um, so. Can you guys or can you talk about how like this uh, little run with I Hate God came together? Did they just like hit you guys up to do it with them? I've known Zach, their manager, for a long time, and uh, you know we've we've always done shows with Zach, and he hit me up about doing these shows a while ago. I mean we've we've done uh, Pig Destroyer and I Hate God uh, a couple years ago through Zach, and then it just. He's been trying to get us to do shows with them for a while and uh, just kind of schedules matched up. So we're happy to be on. Okay. So uh, do you, um, as a teacher, do you get the whole summer off or do you like do like summer school? I get the whole summer off. <laughs> I used to do summer school a long time ago, man. Mm-hmm. I, not about it. I'm, I'm, I have the luxury of being the department head now. So I run the whole show. So I don't have to do summer school. Has there ever been like a thought of you like doing like a longer run since you have so much like free time or do you like to uh, divide that into like other things you do? Well, you know, it's important to me to spend a lot of time with my kids. Okay. So I have two kids. I have a, a eight year old and 10 year old. So I spend a lot of time with them. Plus I do another band called below the frost with Matt from hate breed my wife, Michelle, who was in a band called Starkweather back in the day, and uh, this guy, Mike, from Primeval, that also was in a band called Demolition Hammer. And uh, so we have that side band going on. And then, so my time is pretty sacked. Plus, everybody else has a lot of stuff going on. Okay. But, man, I, I still can't get over having the whole summer off. I, I feel like that's just like a dream. It is. It's great, man. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's great. 
And so like you get the whole summer off. Is it, is it like ever hard just kind of getting back into the motion of like being back at work or are you like, um, like excited since you've been gone for so long? I, I think what people don't understand, even though, you know, I'm, I'm sure somebody is going to hear this and be like, what's this guy even talking about? <laughs> but having two months off makes it even harder to go back to work. It doesn't make it easier. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. I love my job. I love the kids. I love it. It's a, it's a fantastic profession, but having all that time off is, is awesome. You know, and going back, you're just like, ah, oh, back into the grind. Which, and then once you're back into the grind, then, then it, it becomes the same old, same old. And it's not, not hard. Yeah, for sure. You, you just like getting back in there, putting on the work and just, you know, you'll have the following summer off again. Right. Plus, you know, I've been teaching since 2002. So, you know, to get prepared, it's not, it's not that hard because I already have everything. I know, I know, uh, what I'm doing. I just have to change up how I do it. So it doesn't get stale. Mm-hmm. And are you like always in the same classroom or do they like rotate? I'm in, in the same classroom cause I'm department head. So I don't have to move around at all. Okay. But I have my own office. Hell yeah. That's awesome. So the we'll kind of want to get back to all out war. So you guys put out that new record, uh, crawl among the filth, which I, I thought was awesome. And I um, was on Google and I, I saw that you guys had a, or have a SoundCloud, which I, I think is pretty interesting because not a lot of bands have that. So, um, I was just curious, like why you guys chose to put your music on that platform. I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know. Didn't even know that existed. So you're the first person. <laughs> Let me know. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I listened to That might to be somebody else in the band. I don't even know. Okay. I don't even know. Yeah. Cause <laughs> I, I, it's cool that we have one, I guess. Yeah, no, it's uh, to me, it's, it's interesting because like, obviously I, I have you guys on Spotify, but on my computer, I, I have like the program to use Spotify, but I was just like in my web browser and I saw that you guys had a SoundCloud. So I just like went and checked it out. I was like, okay, this is like pretty interesting. That might be our guitar player. I, I don't even know who put that up. Okay. So we're coming towards like the end of the year and you, you have the weekend with I hate God and the, the run with um, integrity. Do you see like you guys staying active um, all the way through the end of the year or is that going to be it for you guys? Um, right now, you know, we're hoping to put something together with uh, Funeral Chic, and I really like this band, Wake, from Canada, so I'd like to set something up with them also, and there's also been, you know, maybe something with internal bleeding, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, a lot of that stuff's probably going to bleed into 2020, and uh, I'm trying to put something uh, together in Europe in 2020 also. So we'll see where everything goes. Okay. And do you like playing Europe? Cause I, I, that's like, you know, like a big trip to travel out there. Would you guys do like a full week or just a couple dates and come back home? We would do like, like two weeks in Europe if we went to make it worthwhile. I mean, we love playing in Europe. We had a lot of friends, you know, from, we've been going to Europe forever. And, uh, I mean, like all those old Belgian bands like Liar and Congress, you know, all those bands. Like I love, I love seeing those guys. 
So uh, anytime we can make it out to Europe, we do just to hang out with old friends. I mean, like some of our best friends are, are from Europe, you know, just from touring out there all those years. Yeah, because you, you guys toured out there like pretty early in your career, right? Right. We started, I think, 97. Damn. And is there like a difference in the Europe scene today versus back then? Uh, I think it's it's pretty much very similar to here. You know, I think it probably comes in waves where the metallic, more metallic bands are popular and then the more hardcore sound bands or whatever. I think it probably is, mirrors the U.S. a lot. Okay, because I've never been to Europe and all I know is like videos that I've seen, but then I always see flyers and they'll have... I. I currently like they'll have like you know like the more popular like american bands like out there on like a giant festival and so i never knew if like they were like super in tune or if there was just like you know like that they had like a specific contact on like you know who they should book no i think they're pretty in tune especially like mad it's pretty in tune to what's going on in the u.s and i think that they, the kids definitely are so like i said i think it it's very similar to here i mean I think we were we were shocked how similar it was when we first started going over there because I think we expected something totally different, you know, but it, it was very uh, similar. I mean, the one thing, you know, when we first started going over there that we, we noticed is that they were much more uh, political at first when we first started going over there, but okay. I think that they're, they're a little bit less, I, I don't even know. And you know, that's accurate, but I was curious. So, um, if they were more political, were were those issues even like anything you guys would um, like look into? Or since like you guys weren't from there, were you guys just kind of just play the show and just hang out? Well, I mean, you know, I wouldn't say that we were political, but I think that we were we're definitely you know socially aware and lyrically definitely socially conscious. So. Uh, you know, I think we kind of fit in, especially with the the uh, Belgian bands. Okay, yeah. Growing up, I would um, you know, I would know about bands like uh, you've heard of like Knuckle Dust. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So like bands like that are like the bands that I knew of just because um, you know they'd be popular and the friends would just like uh, give me stuff to listen to and I I thought they were cool but I uh, never really kept up with it because for me I, I just i never really thought I would travel out there. I still haven't been out there. I'm sure I'll get out get out there eventually. But as I've gotten older, I, I feel like I, I want to kind of see more of the world instead of just kind of staying out here in California. Well, if you want to just check out like music you know those uh hate thousand bands from belgium like liar and congress and sector and all those bands they're great so i i would recommend checking out those bands i mean they're they're awesome liars just playing some reunion shows i think in november so uh they're a great band no for sure yeah then i'll definitely check them out i'll look them up on like spotify or somewhere on the internet i'll find it are you still there yeah, I'm still here. Okay, sorry. I, th I thought you cut out. Um, so I'm kind of curious about like uh, All at War uh, playing like bigger fest, like the big festival circuit out here for like, you know, like hardcore, like, you know, fests. Um, are you a fan of playing those things? Like, this is hardcore. 
Oh, yeah, we love playing. You know, this is hardcore. So we, Joe, I've known Joe. We played Joe's first show ever. So uh, I've known Joe for a long time, long before this is hardcore. And, uh, you know, we, we dig playing those things. I always like the smaller shows better. But I'm a I'm a fan of playing, you know, some of the fest too. But the smaller shows are always better. Yeah, and honestly, I I prefer um, normal shows as well because I, I, sometimes I feel like festivals can just be like overwhelming, just like being around like right. a ton of people and then it going like all day. Sometimes I just kind of get burnt out. I I would much rather go to four band bills. You know, four bands that's good enough. Four band bills. I always loved four band bills. When I first got into going to shows, it was always four bands. You know, five bands once in a while, but the majority of the shows were always three to four bands. And uh, I thought that those shows had more of a pop to them, you know, and they didn't tend to drag. And if you could get like a sort of a mixed bill, it was even better. Just four, four bands, I think. You know, in the 90s, that's when people started to really overbook shows like when it became like a trend to do like seven bands, eight bands. And it was like a common thing. And I never really dug that at all. I prefer four band bills. I prefer playing four band bills and going to four band bills. I definitely agree. The, the worst for me is like when I see like right now it's like five or six is like the norm, but I hate when I show up, on time and the show hasn't started and the show runs late um it's not backline so it just takes forever for bands to break down and set up and then like you end up just being out like so late and for me like i, I like um I, I work like really early for like my corporate job so like it just like grinds my gears because like sometimes i'll just leave like and the show's not even over because like i have to get home and get some sleep to be able to right. function the next day and, and and then people think that you're the bad person. It's like, dude, just make the show run on time. Like that. That's why I think four bands are ideal because if you make that the norm again, then people know, okay, I got to be here this time because this is when the show is going to start. And then I know that this show is going to end at a certain time, so I'll stick it out. When you have these shows that have like, you know, six or seven bands on on the bill, or eight bands, or, or whatever it may be. And people start to say to themselves, well, I know it's going to start late, so I'm not going to get there until late. And then I know I'm going to have to leave. And then people just lose interest and don't want to go. Yeah. I remember, uh, and this only happened once. I I went to like a matinee show. I'm, I'm not sure who booked it because I was like super young when I went to it. But it was like at this venue in L.A. called the the knit, uh, the Knitting Factory. And the show started at noon and it got out at like 4 p.m. And like at, at the time, like um, I lived out in Palm Springs. So like I had to drive about two hours just to get to the show. And when we got out, it was like 4 p.m. in like the middle of the afternoon. And like normally... Uh, for my friends and I, when we would get out of shows at a normal time, we'd have to head straight home because we had like work or school the next day. But since it got out so early, we were literally so confused and we had no idea what to do because it was still so early in the day. And I was like, man, this is awesome. I was like, I, I wish there was like more matinee shows. I used to love CBGB matinees, man, because they started at three. They got over, at, you know, six thirty, six, whatever time. And I was always home, like, you know, at eight or nine, depending on traffic coming home from the city. And those shows were great. You know, I miss those shows more than anything. Um, 
but I don't know for whatever reason the Matt Nix seems to have lost favor. Yeah, and, I, and it's uh, strange to me because I, I feel like um, it's like people are like capable of doing it, and I'm sure these venues wouldn't mind doing something early in the day because they could probably even do two shows in one day if they did like a matinee show. Right, you would think that the that you could find clubs that would want to do that because that way they can still take advantage of the bar crowd because those shows can start later. You know, so have a matinee from from three to six, and then clean up and have something at nine. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. we got to tackle this. We got to bring back the matinee shows. That's the part of the oh, market man, that I, nobody I is doing. It. I would love if somebody picked up on that idea. I mean, used to do that in in New York, and they used to do that in Boston, and it was just like the norm, and it was great, you know. And then after a while, it just moved, and it, you know, they were they used that CBGB had them, and then the Rat in Boston had it too. It was it was great. Even even going all the way up to Boston and playing those shows or going to a show, you were still home at a relatively decent hour if the if the show got over at like seven yeah and out here like if there's like a like a three bill or four bill um show they don't start at normal times like literally like they'll start at like eight thirty or nine o'clock and i'm just like why like it's a shorter bill like why doesn't it just start at the normal time like i'm sure like nobody wants to be out that late well, the funny thing is, you know, the hardcore stuff had the matinee, but the metal stuff back in the day, you know, when I when I was a kid, those shows didn't start until like 11 o'clock at night. So it was oh, like wow. a totally different whole thing, you know, like Lamore shows, the, the doors didn't open until like 10.30 or 11. So those shows were, were really late, but, but, you know, that was also like the norm too, so. Yeah, I, I go to like rap shows and like that's the normal thing for like rap shows like the um, the headliner will be scheduled to go on at like one in the morning, but they'll have like 20 openers. And um, since they're like um, rappers, like most of the time they'll show up late and you're literally in the venue till like two or three in the morning. And it's just kind of ridiculous. I, mean, I remember leaving Lamore shows and it was like almost daylight, you know? Damn. Yeah, that's crazy. It reminds me of this one time. My friends uh, took me to a strip club and we're in there from like 2 a.m. to and like we got out at like 6 a.m. And I'm like, dude, uh, I feel like such a degenerate because like the sun's out. I, I want to be in bed. Like, <laughs> yeah. why are we here? Yeah, th those are some days I don't really want to go back to. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, well, I think this is a good place to wrap things up. <laughs> All right, great. Thanks. Yeah, no, honestly, I, I, I just want to say, like, thank you so much for um, being down to come on the podcast. Um, I, I definitely, oh, man, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate it. Like, th this was like really fun to be able to talk to you and get some like awesome insight. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks again for having me on, man. I had a good time. Awesome. Um, b before we go real quick, is there anything you want to like shout out or plug? Nah, just thanks to everybody that, you know, that listened and thanks to everybody that bought the new record and thanks to you for having me on and, you know, hope to see you guys out on the West Coast one of these days. Hell yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, it's been awesome and it's been another episode of the Jamer K podcast, always on top.